Good morning. Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete, complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter, to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. May God bless this reading of his word. Thank you, Bobby. Each year we gather to celebrate and recommit ourselves to the body of Christ, to God and to Christ and his people. And we're doing that today on this Covenant Renewal Sunday. And so um, looking back and watching the video year in review is always a highlight for me. And you just don't know, you don't know what pictures are going to show up. So that's the fun part. We have been thinking about evangelism and God's heart for evangelism, and that's the theme this fall, and, and so we're weaving that into Covenant Renewal Sunday, you'll see. But the last couple of weeks, we've been thinking about God's heart for pursuing people. So in chapter 14, you know, the Lord Jesus says in his story, go out to the highways and hedges, expand the invitation list. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And, and seeing God's heart for everyone. And then this past Sunday, we looked at Jesus uh, in chapter 15 of Luke, Luke 15, as the friend of sinners. One of the best ways to remember who Jesus is, is that he is so closely willing to build friendship with sinners, tax collectors, and be accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. He's pursuing, God is pursuing us. God is pursuing, uh, the heart of God to pursue the lost is, is beautifully pictured in Luke 14 and 15. And right in between these passages, where we are today, Jesus kind of hits the pause button and says a word about our response to him. So God is pursuing, now how will man respond? And he calls us to discipleship. He calls us to follow him. He calls us with a sobering, radical call. So yes, God's grace is absolutely free and unmerited, but it is not cheap. And following Jesus does cost something. And that's, that's, that's where Jesus takes us this morning in the end of Luke chapter 14. We save this passage, though, uh, for our Covenant Renewal Sunday, 
because, and hopefully this will make sense to you, because we live in a culture that's really struggling with commitment. We, we live in a culture that doesn't value loyalty like it used to. So we saved this passage for Covenant Renewal Sunday um, in order to, to call one another to radical commitment to Christ and to his people. And hopefully that'll make sense to you as we, as we keep walking through the morning and we think about the value of recommitting ourselves to Jesus and to his people. So let's think about that today. Let's think about the high cost of discipleship as it connects to your church life. So it's not just a high cost of discipleship following Jesus. It's what's that mean for me in this context, in this church to renew my commitment to, to who Christ is and to his people. So three times in this passage, you might have seen this as Bobby was reading just a second ago, but if you didn't, let's do it right now. If you will, open back up Luke 14, verses 25 and following, and just walk with me through this passage and look for three times Jesus says the exact same thing, an exact expression. Did you see that phrase that he says three times? It's at the end of verse 26. It's in 27, and it's, thir it's in 33. Take a moment and try to find it. Try to find that phrase that, that Jesus repeats three times. The end of verse 26. You see it? He cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 33, he cannot be my disciple. In each of these instances, Jesus offers some qualifying phrase and says, or you can't follow me, or you can't be my disciple. Three times. What he's doing here is in three different ways, he's testing our devotion. Jesus tests our devotion up against family loyalty, number one. Number two, self-sovereignty. And then number three, earthly possessions. Family loyalty, self-sovereignty, and earthly possessions. Let me walk you through those. Verse 26, the first thing Jesus does is, is, is test our devotion to him in contrast with family loyalty. Verse 26, if anyone comes to me, now read there, if anyone comes to me, he means, he's talking about salvation matters. He's, he's, he's saying, if, if anyone comes to me, he's saying, if anyone wants to follow me, trust me, know me, if anyone wants to experience what the Son of God has to offer, that's, that, I think that's what he means by, if anyone comes to me, so if anyone wants to be a Christian, if anybody wants to be saved, if anyone wants to follow Christ and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, here it is, he cannot be my disciple. This is a really challenging passage and it has occasioned a ton of writing and response in the history of the church and what is Jesus after, what's he saying? I wanna to try to kind of simplify things this morning and lay out on the table what he's saying and what he's not saying. Obviously, there is no place in Jesus' teaching for literal hatred. He, he's not saying you should hate your parents. He's not saying you should hate your children. He calls us to love our neighbors even to love our enemies. Jesus ups the ante and says, you should love your enemies and pray for those who curse you. He modeled this personally. He modeled a love for his own enemies, even the one who betrayed him with a traitor's kiss. 
So Jesus obviously is not talking about literal, he's not talking about literal hatred. It makes no sense to think that he's saying literally hate your family, right? What he's doing, so this is a figure of speech. It's, a, it's an idiom from his day, which he's taking and he's saying, what I want to do is I want to show you how much your love for me should make your other relationships seem far less important compared to me. That's what he's doing. He's talking about your degrees of affection. You know, your, your life is filled with degrees of love. You love some things really high degree of love. You love other things less than those things, other things less, other less still. And Jesus is trying to say, I, I want to be at the very top of your list. I want to be, in fact, I want to be so high on the top of your list that if you have to choose with regard to your own fam loyalty to your own family or following me, I'm asking you to follow me. That's what Jesus says. The, the positive statement on this is in Matthew 12, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew 10, Matthew 10, 37, you'll remember this. Um, he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me, or son or daughter more than me, again, degrees of affection, is not worthy of me. Discipleship is a call to personal allegiance. That's, that's what Jesus is talking about. So yeah, he's been rolling along saying this is an invitation for everyone, especially my people who have rejected me, right? Back further in Luke 14. This is an invitation. Expand the invitation list for everyone. Anyone who wants to come, come and drink from the waters. Come, you who thirst. Come who don't have any money to buy. You should come. But, but in coming, I want you to understand something. Yes, it's absolutely free. But I want you to understand something. I'm looking for personal, full, unbridled allegiance will you be my disciple that's what he's doing and for some people family loyalty will be really significantly challenged sometimes following Christ will bring extreme division in your family even being disowned by family some of our own Chinese brothers and sisters have experienced this when their family back home finds out that they want to follow Christ wholeheartedly, they are making a choice. This has happened to some of them. Not knowing whether they'll ever have a conversation with their mother or father again. Not knowing whether they'll ever be able to be in the home with their parents again. This, this is for real. Most of us have not experienced anything like this. The closest I came to this was when I trusted Christ in college and some of my own family members began to mock me and make, they began to make fun of me. And one person in particular who I was really looking for approval from and, and affection from and in, in my immediate family made fun of me. And I had to decide when I was being made fun of, where's my allegiance? Do I love Jesus? Is he the son of God? Has he laid a claim on my life? So much so that I can say, you know what? I don't have to have that approval. I don't need that approval. You know, in the natural immediate goodness of a family life, there should be a lot of loving, affirming, favor, I'm for you, I, 
you know, want what's best for you. There should be that. But if it's not there, or if it has to be sacrificed at the, at the place of decision and following Jesus, I'm just telling you, come with Jesus every time. And the good news on that is, <laughs> this is awesome. The person who was making fun of me, like 15 years later, came to Jesus. And do you, what do you think I said to him? Do you, do you think I said, see, I told you eventually you'd figure out the... <laughs> what do you think? Heck no. No way. You don't say that. There's no, there's no gospel in that. Your heart is overwhelmed with the mercy that you have experienced and now he experiences it. And Jesus is testing your family loyalty. That's what, he's t- that's what he's doing. He's saying, look, if you're serious about following me, this is what it could cost you. Here's the second thing he says. I know it's going to cost you this. It's going to cost you your self-sovereignty. You're going to have to die to yourself. Look at verse 27. The second condition of discipleship is death of self. You and I follow Christ into his death. So verse 27 says this, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me can't be my disciple. Second time he says it, you can't be my disciple unless you do this. So whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me can't be my disciple. Now circle those words if you're making notes in your Bible, mark this phrase, bear his own cross. Here's what I think this means. So Roman crucifixions were public. And people knew what was happening to someone who in a village or a town or a city was taking up his cross with a band of Roman soldiers. He wasn't coming back. People knew that to carry your cross away from your place, your home, your village, your town, with a group of Roman soldiers was a one-way road. You're going to die. So Jesus, with his own cross in view, which is what interprets all this and anchors all of this, so it's not so much bearing your cross of suffering that Jesus has in mind here, but rather your dying with his death in view, right? So Jesus, with his own cross in mind says you're gonna have if you want to follow me you're going to have to die to self-sovereignty because there's not room for two kings in your life there's not room for two lords in your life so I'm gonna go make this happen at the cross but the way you get there is by dying yourself so that you can follow me and so my cross will begin to make sense to you so much so that the Apostle Paul will take up this idea in Galatians and say look here's what I want you to understand about the Christian life I live as if one crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, I, but Christ lives in me in the life I now live. I, I live this life by faith in the Son of God who died and rose again. I am crucified with Christ. Or he will say elsewhere, Paul will say, remember this line, I die daily. Do you remember that? I die daily. What's he talking about? He's talking about the cross. 
He's talking about, he's echoing the very words of Jesus. If you're going to come after me, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, you have to bear your own cross. Read, you have to die. Self-sovereignty is dead. It's over. Never returning to that village. Go back to verse 26 and you'll see it, it in another line even his own life. Anyone who comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, even his own life. What's Jesus saying? Even his own life. Self-sovereignty. That's what he's saying. It's interesting in verse 27, back to verse 27, the tense of the verbs is really instructive. Both the verbs here, bearing cross and coming after are in the present tense. Jesus is saying this is, a life, this is not a one-time little decision. This is a lifelong following of me. Like this is something that's going to go on over and over and over again. This is a process. Trust the process. Trust the process, people say. Jesus is saying, trust the process. Come and die and you will live. Come and die again, you'll live even more. Come and die again, you will live even more. Find your life in me. Discipleship, one author wrote, is not periodic volunteer work based on my terms, my own terms and convenience. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is not volunteer work. Christianity is a response to this voice. If you want to come after me, pick up a cross and die. You're going to find out how to live when you follow me. That's Jesus talking. Here's the third thing. He says, and this one's, have you found the third one yet? Some of you are there, some of you are, have you found the third one? This one's a little bit tricky. It's, it's kind of nestled in there at 30, verse 33. It's, it's hidden a little bit in verse 33. But it's there. In no uncertain terms, verse 33. So, therefore, any one of you who does not, so he's just told a couple stories. He's, tra- he's talking about counting the cost. And so Jesus says, uh, look, it, you gotta count the cost. You, nobody builds a tower, nobody builds the foundation and then starts erecting the tower if they haven't done their inventory list. And they don't wanna be made fun of by their friends. They're trying to build this building project and their friends are walking by. Dude, did you even know how long this was gonna take? You obviously don't know construction. He says, you need to count the cost. Or he tells a second story, and in this second story he says, look, if you were a king and you were going to go to war, you better know how many people you're going to go up against because if your team has 10,000 and their team has 25,000, you're probably not going to win. So you need to count the cost. In the same way Jesus is saying, verse 33, so therefore, any one of you who doesn't renounce all market renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple the third thing he says is i want you to renounce your earthly possessions all the stuff that keeps claiming your heart all the materialism all the stuff all the things you think you need to be happy in this world i i want you to know if you're if you have to decide between those things and me you need to choose me not those things I don't read this text as saying you're not allowed to have any earthly possessions or that every year you have to give away everything you have and start over again. I'm not reading it that way. But Jesus is definitely saying this. He's saying your possessions no longer possess you. 
It is the nature of possessions and earthly material. It's the nature of um, materialistic, yeah, it's the nature of materialistic attachments to just keep growing further in, like a vine, like, like kudzu, like some kind of creeper vine that just keeps moving itself further and further into your heart. That's the nature of it. Jesus says you gotta figure out how to cut that off because if you have to choose, you choose me over those things. Now look, this is a really hard message in a place where there are nice houses, nice cars, nice clothes. Like this is a hard message for us to hear. But it is the call to choose. Jesus says count the cost. I have a friend who always wanted it's a really nice Audi. Like not just your average Audi, but it's a really nice Audi. You know, is it three rings or four rings? It's four rings. Okay. He always wanted the four rings. Okay, this friend of mine that I'm talking about. And this is really a friend of mine. This is not me. Okay, so some of you are like, <laughs> some are like, oh, oh, it, you should confess your sin in church. This is great. Get after it, brother. Repent and believe. <laughs> you know, this is a real guy that I know, that I'm friends with. He'd al- he always wanted the four rings and... I think he always wanted his license plate to say, got rings, and, I, he, and, and he got it, and he drove it, and he was having a blast, and then he began to realize it's not as important to me as I thought it was going to be, and then some circumstances in his life changed, and he had to sell it, and he had to decide, where's my identity? He had to decide who gets the keys. So here's what Jesus is saying in verse 33. You ready? Jesus is saying, I get the keys to everything. You don't own it. Your house, your car, your stuff. I've come in to repossess it all, reclaim it all, and I'm going to turn around and I'm going to use it for my glory. Because you don't always use it for my glory, but I want to use it for my glory. So that doesn't mean you can't have a house, doesn't mean you can't have a car, doesn't mean you can't have things. It means all of a sudden you're so different. You're no longer possessed by your things. You share your things. You delight. Look, you delight in sharing your things. And all of a sudden you become a blessing and a channel of God's grace toward people. And when forced with a decision about whether or not you would renounce those things or renounce Christ, you renounce those things immediately. You say, I can live without anything but Jesus. You need to say this to yourself once in a while. Next time you don't get what you want, next time the things don't work out, like, you, like the, the trip or the things or the stuff or the purchase, next time it's happening, just stop and say to yourself, oh yeah, yeah, remember, Luke 14, I can live without anything but Jesus. He's the, he's the one who's worthy of saying to me, look, when you have to decide, it's really not a decision, is it? I'm going to follow you. I don't need all this stuff. That's what verse 33 is about. So, all right, I mean, this is heavy stuff. 
But now I need to transition into our context of covenant renewal. Jesus is calling us to a kind of Christian life that is different. And we believe at this church that that means that affects not only the way we love God, but the way we love one another. So we promise ourselves to the church in a day when promises and commitment are trivialized, we, we say, no, it matters. It matters th- that we commit ourselves to one another. It matters that we stay faithful to one another. So each year, and that's what this Sunday is about, that's why we started the video early on in the service, and we do that again next year, because we want you to, to see who we are for the last year. Like each year as we do this, we, we look back, and then, and then we, we look forward together, and, and today, like right now at this moment, we renew our commitment, and we have a thing called the church covenant, and church covenants are old and outdated, and I get that. It's been around for 146 years at this church, some variation of this that we're about to read, 146 years old, so I, I get that. But there's something really valuable about that. There's something really valuable about a long-term promise. So as we renew our covenant together in just a moment, think that way. Like, this is a heritage of promise. This goes back. This is good. And this church has been through a lot, and that's good too. So if you're a member of the body, if you're a member of this church, if you're not a member, then you know, in a moment we're gonna stand to do this, so we'll all stand together, but, but don't feel like you have to voice this. Please don't say it just because I'm saying it. Don't say it just because the person next to you is saying it. It's fine for you. In fact, it'd be preferred if you're not a member or you're not a believer, not a Christian, and you're just thinking about these things. Just listen, that is totally legal, all right? Just listen and, and say, okay, um, but if you are a member of the body, if you're a committed follower of Jesus and a member of this church, as we recite the covenant together, I, my hope is that it would be meaningful to you and that you would renew your commitment to Christ and to one another. One other quick note before we do it. Um, listen for this emphasis on reaching others and evangelism and a heart, God's heart for those who have not yet believed. It's in here, and we'll say that line. We didn't say it last year, one of the excerpts that we'll say this year. Would you stand with me as we, as we recite this uh, in an act of commitment together? Again, if this is in your heart to do, then uh, voice these words with me. I'll, I'll start, I'll be leader, and then if you'll respond where it says all, um, then we'll make our covenant renewal together. Are you in? You ready? Good. Since we've committed ourselves to Jesus Christ and have experienced the acceptance, forgiveness, and redemption of God our Father, we covenant together as members of this church that with God's help, through the guiding presence of His Spirit, we will act as follows. We will walk together in brotherly love. We will show loving care for one another and encourage, counsel, and admonish one another. We will assemble faithfully for worship and fellowship and pray earnestly for others as well as ourselves. We will seek by Christian example personal effort to win others to Christ and to encourage their growth toward Christian maturity. Amen, love that. We will share one another's 
joys and endeavor to bear one another's burdens and sorrows. We will prove the reality of our conversion by living godly and fruitful lives. We will be faithful stewards of our resources and abilities in sharing the gospel with people of all nations. Love that. As a result of this covenant relationship, altogether, we will seek earnestly to live to the glory of God who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. Amen. Be seated.